Guys, can we be honest here about bras? There is nothing better than wearing underwear that actually fits and is comfortable. Enter Beige London, the laundry and swimwear brand that is responding to women of all sizes with well-fitting underwear up to a size H. Yes, that's right. Nice bras for big boobs. Whilst we're all at home, they've been able to offer a free 20-minute online bra fitting so you're clear on what size to buy. Head over to their website and enter honestly at checkout for 15% off your order. Thanks to Beja London, that's B-E-I-J-A London, for supporting me and today's episode of Honestly. Hi, I'm Clemmie Telford and it's time to get open and get honest. Each week, I interview a guest about a topic that we, as a society, often shy away from. From sex lives to salaries, life and death, religion and real bodies, no subject is off the table. Welcome to Honestly, the podcast. I'll be honest, I was a little blown away by this week's guest. Illustrator and author of Women's Don't Owe You Pretty, Florence Given truly is wise and self-aware far beyond her 20 years. Floss and I chatted about feminism, from the preconceptions of the term feminist to what being a feminist means to her and the idea that you can both be feminine and wear makeup whilst dismantling the patriarchy. We also spent a significant amount of time discussing pink, which sounds daft but brought me inordinate joy. Without further ado, here she is. Just seen that my son's written his name on my pen. <laughs> Nothing is sacred in this house. Honestly, all the good stuff. These are the good pens. He's written Woody on it. It's just like Oh, quick question. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, you can swear. So I always like to start with some quick fire questions just to get us flowing, get us in the mood. What is your favourite colour? Leopard print. And yes, leopard print is a colour to me. <laughs> I do feel that way, but I'm beginning to ask myself whether I've got a problem. Oh, me too. I'm drinking from a leopard print coffee cup right now. <laughs> but does it become a bit tragic? No, I think it's fantastic. I think anything that we kind of consider tragic is because we've been taught to believe it's tragic because women fucking love it. And this is funny because I've been having a dialogue with myself. Like I'm 38, so I'm not old. I've been asking myself whether it, whether it strays into that whole dialogue of mutton dressed as lamb but that is ridiculous that's what the world wants you to believe the world doesn't want you to like yourself like you're allowed to enjoy things like in spite of your age because of your age however you feel if you love leopard print you love leopard print there shouldn't have to be some kind of guilt or embarrassment behind it my room is covered in the stuff and it probably will be for the rest of my life (laughs) I wonder what's so appealing about it because it like I literally am drawn to it over and over and over again I will probably be more sexually attracted to someone if they're wearing leopard print. <laughs> I, I always ask that question. I did a episode with Laura Dockrell, who has written about mental health. And I was like, my favourite colour is pink. And I love it so much that mm. I cannot understand why everyone doesn't look at it and feel deep joy. Yes. No, me too. I was going to say pink and leopard print. <laughs> look, it's my book. Yeah, your, your book is a thing of absolute beauty, which we'll get onto a bit more. Sticking with my quick fire questions, what's your favourite smell? Oh, my perfume. It's patchouli and vanilla. It reminds me like if I was to walk into a bar in the 70s, that's what it would smell like. It's patchouli and vanilla. It's so delicious. Do you feel like that was your era? No, because it was so shit for women back then and for queer people and people of colour. But culturally, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm full of admiration for you. I hope this doesn't sound patronising, that you've you've gone to this kind of level of self-discovery 
to know this version of your, even if it is this version of yourself, but know yourself so well, I think, at 21. I know, I don't, I don't think that is patronising. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, I totally understand it. I don't even understand it myself. I think everyone has different coping mechanisms. And one of my coping mechanisms is to learn about the world and understand the world. And in mm. turn, I learn more about myself. And that is something I've been doing since I was very young. Is that just something, do you think, that's born in you? Have you got role models in your life that have led you to be that way? I think people inspire me, but it's always been a very self-motivated thing. I didn't have, Mm. I speak to my mum about it all the time. And she was like, Floss, no one was telling you to meditate when you were 14. I was just, Mm. I just, I would just do it. And I, and I would know about my feelings. And I think I've been through a lot of tough times in my life with my interpersonal relationships. I've been through abusive relationships and abusive friendships and these very toxic dynamics with girls in my high school. But it was, I think I'm very, very resilient. And it takes a lot of courage to put yourself in a position of being disliked and in a position where you dare to be your authentic self and you Mm. dare to speak up about the things you care about. And I want to make it cool for women to care about things because at the moment it can feel sometimes like it's embarrassing to show that you give a shit and that you have an opinion. And I want women to know that they, they don't have to be either. They don't have to be this desirable object of a man's desire or an ugly raging feminist. Like the two, this dichotomy of the ugly yeah. raging feminist and the object of affection, you know, it's like you can be both. You can wear makeup and you can do all this stuff, but simultaneously know that it's a tool that women use to feel better about themselves in a world that treats pretty people better. But if you like it, that's great. And it doesn't matter. And I think it's, I like people to feel informed about these things because informing myself of these things through experiences and through reading lots of literature has empowered me to live my most authentic life. And by the age of 21, I feel like my journey of like self-awareness probably, probably actually coincides with motherhood. It's a ride that you cannot get off once you're mm. on it. And mm. like, do I wish that I'd got there earlier? Yes, in some ways, because your 20s can be a time of formative decisions. But also, it's a hell of a ride to be on from your teens onwards. It is a hell of a ride. And I think you've got to trust the timing of your life. I mean, I'm not sure what your discovery was, but thank God you woke up. What a gift. It's so exhausting to carry this weight of awareness, I think. Yeah. But it's also, there's no other way for me to live. I, I'd rather know stuff and I'd rather know stuff that I'm enabling or stuff that I have been allowing or patterns that I want to break. I'd rather know and sit in that discomfort. There's there's a huge Mm -hmm. discourse in the um, healing community. People talk a lot about embracing and normalizing discomfort. And that doesn't mean being uncomfortable and putting yourself in horrible, dangerous situations. That simply means sitting in the uncomfortable feelings that come with rejection, that come with analyzing that you might have been an awful person once in your life and probably will be again that person Mm. and sitting in the discomfort that comes from shedding those old versions that is so uncomfortable it's it's Mm. a whole rebirth and it it is exhausting but it's also allowing yourself the time to just sit and say god I'm bloody proud of of what I've done and I think that's my personal thing that I'm trying to work on is allowing myself to reflect and allow myself to be proud of of these versions that I have outgrown I think that's the thing that people need to practice more especially women it's so interesting. I've, this is a complete aside, but I've got um, quite a lot of tattoos and including a couple of like a really 90s star on my ankle that I had on my 18th birthday. Beautiful. And people, are, people are like, D- don't you hate it? No, of course I don't hate it because 18 year old me loved, loved that, loved that <laughs> star. I wouldn't, of course I wouldn't choose it now, but I really, really love that it's such a visual representation of, of who I was in that moment. Yeah, I've got two naked women tattooed on my body. Will I regret that one day? 
I don't care. I don't care because yeah. I because I fucking love it right now. <laughs> Did you have them both done at once? I got the first one on my twenty first birthday last year, and I got one recently. It's a naked cowgirl on my thigh because I was like, why not? I love her. She's great. <laughs> For a while, I totally internalized the belief that tattoos, they, they were really gross because that's what I was told growing up. But I actually love tattoos. I'm attracted to people with tattoos mm. and, I, and I want tattoos. And I think anytime I make an intentional decision about my body, I become so empowered. I feel like, wow, I did this and it was my decision. Mm. I want it there. And even when I cut my hair, I feel empowered. I'm like, yeah, I made this decision about my body. And I think that's, that's maybe a personal thing that I find, Mm. but I feel like a lot of other women will find that too, because we are constantly told what to do with our bodies in the media. So knowing that you're making a decision that is for you personally can feel so empowering. Mm. For me, every single tattoo afterwards, I look in the mirror and feel like I look a bit more like me, which is, which is such a great experience, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, maybe that version of me at 50 won't like it, but I hope that she'll be accepting. What star sign are you? Scorpio. Are you? Yeah, I don't know too much about my star sign, which is so bad because I'm queer. And every time I go on a queer date... You need to know this shit. People will like roll out their entire birth chart yeah. and be like, this is my rising, what are you? And then some people will even get out this app called CoStar. Yes. And they'll be like, can we see if we're compatible? Like on the first date. <laughs> I've only just got into CoStar, which I have been told is very 2019, but I don't care. It's, <laughs> it's very weird. But then it says every day it says like things to avoid, like pomegranates, campfires and pebbles or something. And then you're just like, in Peckham, where am I going to see these anyway? (laughs) The panic of the pet, like these impending pomegranates. But I like it. Um, Scorpios, tough exterior, but pretty soft inside usually. Mm, Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know an awful lot about Scorpios either. Two more questions before we do the real big chat. What do you wish you'd learn sooner? that you can't change people. And even if Mm. it's a positive thing that you'd like to change about them, you can't buy into someone's potential. You have to accept the version that they are. And also, even though you might be feeling in yourself, oh, but if if I can get them to stop doing this thing, then the relationship or the friendship might work out. The thing is, you've got to also think about how, how awful it must feel for the other person to be in a relationship with someone who always wants them to be a better version of themselves that can't feel nice. You have to accept where people are at instead of buying into a future that doesn't exist. I'm pulling some faces there because this is a really, it's a, it's a huge learning. I'm still learning it. I'm still learning it. And actually these lessons really come and smack you in the face when you become a parent, because what happens Mm. is, is you grow these little humans. I've got two boys and a girl and they aren't, the people that you expect them to be and you have to constantly wow (laughs) and you're just like oh wow I grew you I made you and you're just going off and it's something you just have to witness and yeah but it's true you can't you've got to let people go haven't you and they come back Mm -hmm. what is your worst habit my worst habit self-sabotage so when things are going well for me I will do something or have a habit that will prevent it from from me actually experiencing vulnerability I'll say, oh, this won't work because of this or this won't work because of this, but it's actually because I'm afraid of being hurt or experiencing the pain that comes with being vulnerable and telling someone how you actually feel. I'm working on it every day and it's, it's getting a lot better. Well done. Any kind of more day-to-day habits? As in, I don't screw the lids on stuff properly. 
So I will moan about how I'm so anxious all the time, but drink like four cups of coffee in the morning. That's the one. It's like, please don't make me give up coffee. Please don't make me give up. Oh my God, I'm so anxious. Life is so overwhelming. Why have I got so many heart palpitations? And it's because I drank four freaking cups of coffee like in in the day. It's gross. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? it, The addiction is real. Yes. She says, sipping what I believe to be a coffee. sipping my coffee. (laughs) Just to crank it up a bit more. How do you really have four cups of coffee a day? No, no. But on the days where I'm like, oh, why am I so anxious? And I like mm. text my friends, I'm feeling really shit today. I don't know why. It's like, mm, because you drank yeah. so much coffee. <laughs> right. Let's get into the big topic, which is feminism. When did you first discover the idea of feminism and what did it mean to you? Again, it's like my, oh my God, my old version of feminism. So embarrassing. You know, just like when you look at your tattoo when you're older, you're going to be like, oh my God, how could I even have liked that then? It's like my old version of feminism was, how do I describe it? So clued into only my experience as a white woman. So I didn't, I wasn't aware of the intersections of race and ability privilege and class privilege and all of this kind of stuff. Because I mean, I was 14 years old. I was like, what, what am I doing? And basically I stopped, I stopped wearing a bra when I was going to school. So this was like how I began to know about feminism was because people were looking at my my boobs. I went to an all girls school and people would look and give me funny looks or I'd get looks on the way home from school. And or at work, and I didn't wear a bra, and I was like, I didn't wear one because it was it was simply uncomfortable. It felt like a prison for my tits, and I hated it. So I just stopped wearing a bra, and then I realised that I was getting this reaction from others. And then I googled like, why are people looking at me? And then of course all of this stuff came up about the history of the sexual objectif- objectification of women's bodies, and I was like, what? Wait, what? And then I started to learn about sexual harassment and sexual assault and that it's illegal to get your nipples out but men's nipples are allowed and I was like wait what is this what's going on so then I realized that like that word feminism I hated it at first it was so dirty it was this dirty word that men mm. you you hated men or like you were this I had this vision of a, of a of an angry hairy woman in my mind and I've just totally embodied her today like I'm 21 <laughs> and I'm an angry hairy feminist bitch and that's who I am and I think a 14 year old floss would have been bloody repulsed by me <laughs> But I, that just shows that I've grown into my full self, right? I think I think it's beautiful. I think it's great. And then when I went to art college, um, we started to talk about the fashion industry. And then that's how I learned about the scarce representation of women of color in the fashion industry. And I was like, oh my God, how have I been so blind to this? And of course, it was because of my white privilege. I'd never um, been exposed to the intersections of race in feminism and in my discourse of feminism. So then I started to read lots of articles about it and took from my own experiences to talk about it on my Instagram in my artwork. And I just think I have always had it in me. My mom said that when I was younger, I I always used to like challenge my grandma on remarks that she would make when I was like 11 years old. I've always questioned why. I always say why about things. If if I believe something, I go, why do I believe that? Mm. Is this belief my own or is this something that was handed down to me and has made me feel like it's my own? Does this, mm. do, does this set of beliefs even belong to me? Do I even want to get married or is it something that I, I've been indoctrinated by in movies? I question everything. And I think that that's the nature of my, my mind. That's just how my mind works. I question everything. I like to know how things work. And if I don't, I'll figure it out and then draw some conclusions from it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's the connotations that we have with the label feminist that stop people calling themselves one. I'm not even sure if my mum would say she's a feminist. I don't think I've ever heard her call herself one. 
hands up if you've struggled to find pretty bras past a double D. Okay, don't actually put your hands up, but it is common amongst us larger chested women. Well, today's sponsor, Beja London, have come to the rescue as they have a range from double A to 36H. Use the discount code HONESTLY at checkout for 15% off your first order. Thank you, Beja London. So this is really interesting. I asked my audience on Instagram if they considered themselves a feminist, but 80% did, 20% didn't, which I was I was yeah. surprised by. And then actually what was really interesting, I asked them if they said that they weren't a feminist, why? And mm-hmm. these are some of the answers, and I think it speaks volumes. I believe that men are the stronger sex. And I will come back to that. But I was just... I sat with that all day yesterday I really did I see feminism as pulling apart the family home I don't feel like I'm self-confident enough to be a feminist I think that it's all too much fuss I don't (laughs) like the label I'm pro-feminism but I'm not a feminist I like the men doing the blue jobs you know I really 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 especially actually 2020 has taught me a lot about not jumping to judgments of people but I was really surprised by those answers Mm. when people say it's breaking up the family home that sounds like some kind of old archaic crap that you know the woman should be in the kitchen and the man go to work and come home and there's like two and a half kids or whatever that's okay if that works for you and you feel so fulfilled in your life but also as a result of people waking up to the fact that, oh, it doesn't have to be this way, of course there are going to be more people not following that model, right? There's going to be more people accepting that, oh, maybe I don't, I can be in a relationship without actually having a contract of marriage, or that there's going to be more queer couples. And if that's breaking up the family home, then absolutely that should be happening because it means it's a result of people following their desires instead of following a societal desire that tells them who to be. There are going to be more people waking up to their authentic self. And that's what I find so beautiful about all of these conversations that we're having. We're trying to break the mold, but we're trying to we're trying to change this narrative that respects tradition if people want to follow it, mm. but also If that model does not fit you and it does not serve your purpose, don't feel bad about it. Mm. There are so many other options that you can have and it does not mean that you are less worthy than the traditional family model. Exactly. And and if you want to follow that traditional thing, there's no judgment. It doesn't mean you also can't be a feminist raising the next generation of feminists. It's doing things Mm -hmm. that align with with who you truly are. What do you think about someone thinking that they haven't they haven't earned the right to call themselves a feminist? Oh, what? Mm. Oh my god. I think there's no gatekeeping in terms of mm. everyone should be a feminist because being a feminist means that you have a bit of responsibility in questioning the rigid beliefs that we Mm. buy into because they're almost always working against us. Feminism without discussions and intersections of class, privilege, race, sexuality, ability, all of this very important stuff. It's not feminism if you're not also including the fact that women are further marginalized than you and that you also as a woman, as a cis white woman, I am an oppressor to black women the same way that white men are an oppressor to me. And Rachel Cargill talks a lot about that Mm. in her work. And I think I can't associate myself with a brand of feminism that doesn't consider other people's perspectives. And I think that's so crucial. It's non-negotiable to me and my feminism, because if I'm not considering other people, then then what am I doing? It's self-serving, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that people definitely need to be checking in with. Feminism should not have to be presented to you in a certain academic way. If anything, that's just more gatekeeping and Mm -hmm. classism and ableism, because not everyone can 
understand and comprehend these really, really, really intense subjects. And I don't, I don't think that people should have access to feminism once they've read all the books, because you're never going to have read all the books. I'm never going to have read all the books. I sometimes, I find it so interesting that people have said to you that, you know, or, or you brought up the thing about having the badge of feminism. Sometimes I feel like I, I'm a, a shit feminist, you know? And I think that that's the point is that I'm such a bad feminist. There are so many things that bad habits that I still do and have to catch myself. The point is, is that it's progress and you're mm. always going to be learning and, it, and it's committing to that learning. And you cannot have perfectionism when it comes to this work because you are going to make mistakes. Mm. Roxane Gay says um, in her book, Bad Feminist, when, so, when a woman does something wrong, who's a feminist, we say, oh, there's something wrong with feminism, as opposed to saying that this person is a human being yeah. operating with a label that they feel they identify with. And I think being a feminist is a beautiful thing. It means you give a shit. And I think more people need to. And also that the comment that they don't feel self-confident enough. Obviously, it's, it's great to do any kind of progressive work loudly but it can also mm. be done so quietly and especially given my audience are so predominantly parents we have got the the huge opportunity of raising the next generation and that is that yeah. is work yes. done sitting at the family table whatever your version of family is but in the home isn't it yeah absolutely I think I think that's a really beautiful perspective I think if you have children like you're a leader right which is what Brenny Brown says she yeah. says if you have children you are a leader because these children could grow up to it's, it's everything that like there are so many I would call a man a feminist if he had a conversation with his mate Brad about consent like like let, let's say some mm. guy Tom and Brad they're at a bar and Brad's being a bit of an arsehole and he's trying to pressure this girl into having a drink with him and she's just saying, no, 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 no. And he's not listening. If his mate Tom goes, mate, when a woman says no, you listen. It's not an invitation to keep asking. She said no, she doesn't want you to tease her. It's really important that we, that we practice consent. If a man said that, I would call him a feminist. Like mm. that's a very, fe- that's a fem- at least, at least it's a feminist action. I think a lot of people do feminist actions, but they don't like to call themselves a feminist because then people will think of them in a different way. Mm. I think a lot of people do practice feminism, but they don't like to hold that label. And I actually understand why. I think it can be very restricting. So I will do something and someone go, you can't be a feminist because you did this. Mm. And I think as long as you accept responsibility for your actions, you're accountable for your actions, and you also live a life in line with your desires and you're considerate of other people, I think you're a feminist. I don't think there needs to be any gatekeeping around that label. No, because it, it also circles back to that you can't be a feminist and like wearing makeup. And it's a really hard thing to sit with. How do you navigate that? So I've learned to view my gender expression as a performance. Mm. And that's just through being friends with trans people. So now I view these tools, these my makeup brush, my razor, if I want to use it, if I want to wear a suit, if I want to wear a dress, it's all performance. Mm. And when you realize that gender is a performance and that it is not attached to your genitals, who you sleep with, all of this kind of stuff. It's however you want to show up in the world and how you want people to respond to you. I think that's so beautiful. And Mm. if you want to wear makeup because you like to elicit a response of empowerment in yourself and when you wear makeup, you feel incredible, fantastic. If you wear makeup because you want men to look at you, who cares? Fantastic. We live in a world that will give you benefits for looking pretty. I will never judge a woman for wearing makeup. I think I don't understand that argument anymore. It's like Mm. we're told our entire lives that we must look 
beautiful and that our worth will be tied to our desirability through subconscious programming in the media. You know, women in films, in magazines, they're so perfect. And if they're not, they're plastered on the front page of magazines with their roles out on the beach saying worst beach bodies ever. Mm-hmm. So we're told our entire lives that we need to be thinking about our appearance. But then also when we grow up, we're told to be the chill and cool girl and to not <laughs> yeah. care about it. And then we went to feminism and then it's like, oh, you shouldn't care about this how messed up and how conflicting. And it just comes back to the whole point of my book is to lead the reader to absolutely no conclusion at all. Because the conclusion of my book is that there is no way that you will win in this world as a woman. The only way to win is if you live a life in line with your desires. If that's wearing Mm. makeup, go and do it. And that's what I want to do with my work. I want to reconnect women to that fire inside of themselves that tells them that they can do these things and that that life is worth living. I'm reading your book at the moment, but you talk a lot about falling in love with yourself, which is something I so admire. And I'm wondering, because you went on this journey quite relatively young, do you feel like you've got less work to be undoing? Absolutely. Because I have unpicked and unpacked quite a lot of myself, there's still so much work I have to do. So much. I go to therapy weekly. Like I'm yeah. very invested in discovering more about myself. But I also think that I'm still creating myself. Everyone is still creating mm. themselves. And I think it's so beautiful to know that your desires are constantly in flux. And as long as you are in tune to that flow, whatever's going on inside you, and it's such an amazing thing to be able to feel like I am worthy of that love and respect Mm. and to um, honour my evolution and surround myself with people who don't become attached to a version of me. I read this thing the other day that said, grow as you please. If I have to meet you again, I will do that. And I think that's amazing. Makes me a bit goosebumpy. Right. And letting versions of yourself go, because it is quite strange when you suddenly go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that's me anymore. And also, therefore, when you're not gelling with a friend, you're like, oh, yeah, because they're friends with a version of me that Mm. that I'm not anymore. And then you can performatively try and be a bit more like an old version of you. And then you go, oh, the reason this feels uncomfortable is because I'm, I'm not being me. Yes. Exactly. And then you feel, you feel those feelings of guilt. They're mm. like strings of guilt that are inside you being pulled by other people who are attached to this version. You have to cut them. You have to cut mm. those ties and say, hello, this is Florence Gibbon 2.0. Like, nice <laughs> to meet you. She's pretty <laughs> and, good. Yeah, she's pretty great. And she, she, she likes these things now. This is what she knows she likes. Women have been taught that our social ties to others require the exchanging of information of other people's private lives. Yeah. That's how I made friends uh, in early high school. I, I became isolated from my friendship group because I confided to someone about something that was going on in my personal life. And then it got spread around the school and all of a sudden it was this gossip about me. But I'd also been, been the person spreading gossip about others. Yeah. It was this, you see this, oh, so this is how it works. And then that's what I realized. I didn't want to be a part of that, that life anymore. And then I was out of the friendship group for the rest of high school. And then that's when I experienced a lot of bullying, harassment. It was really hard, but it was, I think that was, that was definitely the, the biggest moment of courage that I had in yeah. maybe in my life was kind of at 14. So that was that transition for me where I was like, okay, we need to grow because I don't like the person you're becoming. And it was deciding that I would rather be on my own than thinking with this group mentality Mm. and harming others and harming myself in the process. That was like a huge thing to do. And I did it. I dumped my ex-boyfriend two years ago. I was like, I would rather be single than be in this abusive relationship because the bubble just burst Mm. for me. And I was like, whoa, I have been enabling so much crap and and allowing this. Oh my God, what? I can't believe this was my life. And then you wake up to it and, and you have these 
this, these bubble burst moments. As a kind of ending, what do you think all of us can do to help push the feminist agenda or help head towards equality, I suppose? I guess maybe do one small thing a day. Do one small thing a day that contributes to your knowledge of feminism. I think showing an active engagement in unlearning your beliefs that are problematic towards other people and other groups of people in society. Reading articles, there's a website called Everyday Feminism, and that's where I started learning about a lot of the stuff that I know about. There's articles on stuff that you wouldn't even, it wouldn't even cross your mind. It's all kinds of things, things not to assume about trans people, things not to say to a queer person, 10 things that are actually racist in our everyday language and all of, mm. all of this kind of stuff. It's, it's unlearning, but also you have to be careful, especially as white people, we have to be careful to not view this as some kind of self-development thing. It's mm. for the liberation of other people. And then that will show in your actions, whether you have a platform or not, mm. the way you interact with people is political because we all experience the world differently. And to accept that that is probably going to feel quite uncomfortable and just sitting with that, because it's so interesting then, like the urge to tap out of it. Of course. I I feel like it gets to a point where you can't tap out of it. I can't can't see it now. Yeah. Yeah. One of of many learnings. What what, what a year for collective (laughs) growth. So to wind towards the end, three more questions. Number one, where can people find you? And give a proper shout out to your book, because... Okay, so you can find me on Instagram at Florence Given. My book is available to buy on all bookstores. I recommend buying from Waterstones or Blackwells. And if you're not in the UK, I think Blackwells actually do free shipping to America. And you can buy it in almost all bookstores right now, I think as well. It's, it's definitely in all the, the leading bookstores. It's um, called Women Don't Owe You Pretty. Women Don't Owe You Pretty. And the book covers a whole range of topics. There's 21 chapters. It covers relationship abuse, how to set boundaries, demanding better for yourself, a little bit of insight into the objectification of women's bodies and street harassment. My book busts a lot of myths about ourselves and about the world that we live in. And I basically just want people to come to the conclusion that they don't owe anyone anything apart from compassion and kindness. But in terms of your own gender expression or the way you feel about the world, you don't owe anybody your time and energy. And most importantly, to just demand better for yourself. To go back to the uh, title of the podcast, which is honestly, I am kind of a, mm. a passionate believer in honest conversations, which I'm guessing you probably are too. But I'm interested to know whether you think there is ever such a thing as being too honest. So I try to really employ direct communication because in the past, I've been afraid of expressing my discomfort and I've been afraid of expressing my desires. And that comes from growing up as a woman and feeling like my desires and my discomfort don't matter if it's going to upset someone else. So my default is to not express my feelings but to do it in a very passive way, which is not healthy. Yeah. It's not It's not very communicative. So my growth journey has been about asserting myself, asserting when I love something, when I like something, asserting when I'm uncomfortable and being direct. Being honest with others is, is honoring yourself. So I think, I think honesty, absolutely. Yeah. There's a way you can communicate your needs that don't, that aren't rude, but also I'm embracing my rudeness because I've mm. been too polite my whole life. So it's, it depends what your default is, I think. Well, yeah, but I think that that's exactly it. That honest doesn't have to be rude and honest doesn't have to not account for other people. But broadly, as women particularly, we've been taught to be polite, be the good girl. (laughs) Lastly, if you could have an honest conversation with one person, could be someone from your past, could be, it could be absolutely anyone, who would it be and what would you say? 
Okay, so I was talking to a friend the other day and they told me that they had a chat with their ex about the relationship, about what they did, about how they felt and that it was the most healing, transformative experience Mm. in their life. I don't like the idea of talking to my ex, but I think maybe with someone I've dated before, I can't think of a specific person, but I think I would love to have that honest, like when you've moved on from it, when, when you've mm. done all that stuff, I love the idea of having a conversation with someone about, so how, how was I? How, 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 mm. how was, what can I improve on? Can I, can I get any feedback about how I was? I think that is the most uncomfortable, yeah. but extremely beneficial to your growth kind of conversation like it sounds horrible but wonderful at the same time and also because it prevents that thing that I know I do which is a bit of self-sabotage which is like I imagine all the things that I probably did wrong and actually it could turn out that you're annoying because you sung all the time and that was the thing that tipped it you're like oh well if it was just that then well then I love that about myself and I don't care right yeah I find someone who loves my singing (laughs) yeah and uh, I mean often I increasingly talk to my like 12 year old version of myself or try and check in with her and I think you can think there's a lot to learn from that that person who is kind of a relatively pure version of yourself isn't it I have been Clemmie Telper and this excellent human has been Florence Given and this has been Honestly Podcast thank you for listening please do rate review subscribe and even better tell your mates all about it thank you thank you so much for having me Thank you for listening to another episode of Honestly. If you found this week's episode interesting, which I hope you did, I'd love to know your thoughts. So please do give me a rating or review and even better, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get each week's episode delivered straight to you. Another massive thanks to the sponsors of today's episode, Beja London. If you'd like to get 15% off your first order, enter honestly over at Beja London. That's B-E-I-J-A London. Thank you, Beja.